The views and opinions expressed by contributors on the Spoon River Gothic podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the position of the host. Material heard on the Spoon River Gothic podcast is intended for adult listeners. This podcast deals with mature topics that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This is Spoon River Gothic, narrative of a double homicide. little bit about yourself and you know I know that you mentioned that you and Donnie share the same father but you know what if anything can you give us any insight on you know what Donnie's childhood might have been like um how it came to you know you learning that you that Don Bull Sr. was your dad and just a little bit of background on you yeah uh it's kind of an odd odd story it's uh, I didn't know, I didn't even realize I was a bull, didn't know I was a bull until I was probably at least 28 or 29 years old, which would have been around the same, the same time that all this occurred back in 93, 90, 94, 92, 93, 94. I can't remember when I actually found out. Yeah. I found out uh, by accident. Uh, my mother was never going to tell me. She told me that. But it turned out that a lot of people knew. Uh, knew, and but I didn't. I was oblivious to it. I, my, I thought my biological father was uh, a man from Southern Illinois, which has my, my last name, Shaw. Uh, <clears throat> but I had... I didn't grow up in Canton. I grew up in Lewiston, which is about 18 miles south of Canton. I didn't run around in Canton very much when I was younger. Uh, when did you become, like, when did you start to get to know um, Don Bull Sr.? Well, like I said, that's, that was back when I was told who I was. Yeah. Uh, Back in probably, I'm going to say 90, 94. I can't, I can't remember. Uh, I mean, did you have any like impressions of him when you kind of like first started talking to him? Um, I know at the time, like that was obviously when everything with Donnie was going down. So I'm sure that was a, really chaotic time um like do you have any insight on how the family was dealing with that just like where their heads were at what they were thinking well i know that don bull senior that he was pretty he was very adamant about uh believing in donnie's innocence the conversations yeah. i had had with him uh after him and i got to know each other uh let me back up a little bit uh I had I left the area. I went I went to serve in the Marine Corps for four years, and I came back and I moved to Canton with my my sister was staying in Canton, and I came back to Canton and I started working for the Department of Corrections, and I moved up north 
longer. I didn't move up north. I worked up north until the prison here in Canton opened up. And then I came down here. So I was working for the Illinois Department of Corrections at the time. And then living here in Canton. And I had a little place here in town. And uh, my now ex-wife at the time, friend, uh, best friend, Mother and father owned a bar here in town, and she came to me one time and told me that her friend had told her that there was a man at the bar that had stated to her mother that I'm not who I thought I was, and she came back and told me this, and this is back in like 90, and I... Right. It, it didn't really, I, I just thought it was some drunk, didn't know what he was talking about or whatever. Well then, like I said, I'm living here in Canton, and I guess at this time Donnie was locked up in uh, Department of Corrections on a previous charge. Yeah, uh, yeah, he did have served previous time um, prior to this whole separate ordeal. Yeah, and he was, and I believe he was in Pontiac. But I was, like I said, I wasn't around from, I wasn't from this area. Yeah. Necessarily from Canton. But I had been to different places, different bars, uh, different, different places. And there were several times that I had uh, people come up to me and call me Donnie. Or say, hey, Donnie, how you doing? I'm like, well, I'm doing fine, but I'm not Donnie. I don't know who you're talking about. Oh, okay. So, so I looked, apparently, when I didn't say apparently, I did. I, Donnie and I looked very, very similar. So I got mistaken for him a couple times. And there were a couple times I got mistaken, mistaken for him and that being, uh, ended up being a fist fight over it. Oh. Uh, that's, that's the truth. I'm not, I'm not making this up. So, okay, that, that all occurred, and then and then there was probably a couple of years span where uh, there was nothing like this was coming up, and my like I've mentioned earlier, my my namesake father Shaw Ed Shaw, who gave me his last name, knowing that I was not his child, by the way. He was living in Southern Illinois. And myself, my ex-wife, and my daughter uh, went down to visit them. And right next door to him was a uh, a bull that worked down the coal mines down there also. And, wow. excuse me? I just, wow, that's, that's a coincidence. <laughs> Yeah, ain't it, ain't it though? It's, 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 his name is Ed Bull. Uh, and Ed is, was a cousin. Ed, Ed has passed away. Uh, but Ed knew, the whole Bull, the whole Bull family knew, I didn't, but the whole Bull family knew about me. And, uh, 
Ed Shaw introduced me to Ed Bull down there, and I got a real, real eerie vibe from this guy because he kept staring at me the whole time we were down there. <clears throat> well, turns out I worked with Ed Bull's best friend who was living up here in Canton uh, at the prison. And that was Danny King. And one day, and Danny and I were friends. Uh, we weren't, you know, we didn't hang out, but we were, we were friends. And Danny came to me one day and said, Hey, uh, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, Well, probably nothing. Why? He said, Well, he goes, Ed Bull is coming up from Southern Illinois and wants to talk to you. I said, What's, What the hell does he want to talk to me about? He goes, He just wants to talk to you. He gives you things, he gives you something you, I think you'll, you need to be interested in. So I said, okay. So I meet them out to the old suburban, the bar, uh, west of town here. And that's when Ed Bull pulled me out outside and said, well, this, nobody was ever going to tell you apparently, so I'm going to tell you now. So he told me the story. And it just like floored me. So the next day I confronted my mother about it and she admitted to me that that's, it was true. Okay. Now, now where, where do we go from here? <laughs> uh, oh, well, I made a phone call. I found, I found Don Bull's phone number and I made a phone call to him. And, he, he didn't answer his wife at the time, Joyce. She answered. And I asked for, I asked for Don. Is Don Bull there? And she said, uh, yeah, just a minute. And she put him on the phone and I said, I asked him, I said, is this Don Bull? And he said, yeah. He goes, I've been waiting for you to call me. So he knew oh, right away who I was. Huh? He already knew who you were. Oh yeah, he does. He knew about me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so then we we met at one of the local bars here in town. Uh, and of course, I I already got the story from my mother. I wanted to get the story from him, and he told me his side of the story. And that's that's uh that all came to be. So the first, okay. I wasn't raised, I wasn't raised with Donnie. And he also had right. two sisters, uh, Sheila and Sherry, which was all, they would be my half sisters. And the they knew, they, they knew. What's that? What is the age difference between you and Donnie? Uh, it wasn't more than two years. Oh, okay. So you guys, you guys were definitely close in age and could, you know, could have potentially had a relationship had you, you know, known the truth about your life. Yeah, absolutely. And okay. I don't know if Don, I don't know if Donnie knew about me, but I do know that Sherry and Sheila knew about me. Okay. Uh, and as as another I ironic twist of the story, uh, one of my half sisters, Sherry, worked at the prison also. She was worked in. Uh, I think she was a librarian out there for a while. Oh. 
And like I said, she knew, and, I, and this is before I knew anything about anything. And I, I, I remember one time I was working the second shift and she was leaving uh, to go home. So it would probably been around 4 o'clock that afternoon. And I was headed to the shift office and she was walking to the administration building to leave. And she, she never said a word to me the whole time that, we, that she'd been there. And she looked at me in a look of like, it was like disgust, like, she goes, you, you really need to shave your facial hair and cut your damn hair off. You look like one of these thugs were guarding out here. And that's what she said to me. And I was like, really? Who the hell? Like, who the hell are you? <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. So I just kept walking. Dude, I went through, I went through a rebellious area, uh, time after I started working. And I grew my hair out long, and I grew my beard, and all that crazy stuff. And uh, I did that because the warden at the time didn't didn't like long hair, and he didn't like beards. But that's that's a different story. Yeah. But anyway, um. So, do you have I, any recollection of like when? I mean, I guess when was the first time you met Donnie? Donnie Jr. Uh, I was, I went to visit Don Bull at his house, uh, and he asked me if I would like, if I'd want to go, to go meet Donnie. And I said, sure. I said, I, I said, well, I met Sherry, and I, I already told him the same thing I just told you about what, what Sherry had said to me. And he said, well, that doesn't surprise me. And he goes, I'm getting, or tomorrow, the next, within the next couple of days, he was going down to Fulton County Jail to visit Donnie. And he wanted me to go with him. So the very first time that I met Donnie, he was locked up down in the county jail. Now, was this, was he locked up for the prior charges that he was in jail for, or was this when? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't believe, I, I don't believe he'd been charged with the uh, homicide of, uh, Okay. Donna and just cleaning up. Okay. He was down there, I believe, for uh, an assault on a woman. Yeah. An aggravated assault or something down there. That's and and I, I believe he was he was locked up down there when they charged him with the murder. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was because of him being just for just for some background on it. When he got locked up for that, um, they were able to obtain his DNA. Yeah, and, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know yeah. that. So that was when they were able to nab him for, well, charge him with the murder of Donna and Justine. Um, well, this, this, that first time that I met him, I mean, I looked, it's not, it's non-contact visits down there, of course. Yeah. Like the last, and uh, it was like almost like looking in a mirror because uh, he looked very, very. Him and I look like I said. Him and I look very, very similar. Uh, same build. Only I actually I was probably more physically fit than he was. Uh, he he just probably gained a lot of weight while he'd been locked up. Yeah. It, uh, but his picture. There was a picture in the paper. Of them escorting him from the Fulton County Jail to 
the courthouse and his pictures in the paper and if you didn't know that wasn't him you just swore it was me and I had all kinds of people comment on that to me that must have been and really I, eerie for you you know just to see somebody uh, it, was, it, it was it was aggravating it was very aggravating it was very uh I was pissed off about the whole thing. I didn't talk to my mom for three years because of this. Uh, and it still irritates me. I mean, I, you know, I, I've always, I try not to dwell on things and let things bother me, but this is one of the things that will bother me for the rest of my life. My kids, my children should have the, the right to know and they do know. I mean, I, I didn't lie to them. I told them exactly what was going on. Uh, yeah. So it's it's a sore spot for me. And the number of people that knew all these years and, and never told me, that knew me, you know, that's just, it just blows my mind. I guess they were scared of my mom or something. I have no idea. But. Do you have any insight as to why they decided to keep all this from you? Like, do, you know, why your mom decided, you know, to let another man raise you, to let you take another, you know, have another man like role for you? I can tell you exactly. Well, I can tell you what my mother told me. And I, you know, back back then, uh, let me back up. Uh, kind of hard to talk about. Mom, mom passed away, so. I'm sorry. I don't want to put her, I don't want to put her in a negative light because she's a wonderful mother and uh, no, normally when you hear stuff like this, it was just, you know, to protect their kids that, you know, maybe that was, I mean, and I can see that now. I mean, it took me a while to understand, but, uh, here, here's what happened. Now, mom, mom had, was divorced working here in Canton. Uh, and she was divorced from Ed Shaw. Well, she had met Don Bull, and then what happened happened, and she told me that Don had told her that she he was going to leave his wife and kids for her and raise me and all this other stuff. Well, that didn't that didn't uh, come about, and he basically. You know, just kicked her to the curb and said, well, sorry for your luck type of thing. And so my mother here, my mother was pregnant and she, and she had my, I already had a, uh, another child, my older sister. So she's pregnant with a kid already. And this is back in the sixties, pretty much frowned upon to have yeah. that situation. Uh, and she told Ed Shaw what was going on after Don Bull told her that he didn't want nothing to do with her, apparently. Uh, and Ed agreed to go ahead and remarry her and give me his last name, which is what happened. Well, okay. that lasted, I guess, for, for about a year, and then they got divorced again. Okay. But all those years, I mean, growing up, I... I thought that Ed Shaw was my biological father, which obviously isn't the case. Uh, and I had no interaction with Ed Shaw either. 
Uh, I was raised by a stepfather, uh, Chuck Schaefer, was uh, my stepdad. And he raised me up until my teenage years when him and mother, my mother got divorced. But after I think I was probably 12 or 13, uh, I wanted to go see my biological dad, Ed Shaw, and they would send me down to see him in the summers. And they let on like it was, like I was his kid. And so I would go down to Southern Illinois and stay for a month at a time down there during my summer break from school. And then I, then I come back up here. So I, like I said, I always thought that, that he was my biological father, but it, there was always something in, something that didn't really, I didn't look nothing like the Shaw's. And there was just something about it that didn't really jive with me at the time, but I didn't, I guess I really didn't pay much attention to it. But, uh, yeah. Well, that's understandable. I mean, if you're told somebody's your dad, you don't really, you don't really question it. Yeah, definitely. Now, like when you first, when you first met Donnie, when he was locked up for that prior assault charge, like what was, you know, what was that? Like, what was your first impression of him? Uh, well, you know, he, for being introduced to me for the very first time as, as this is your brother and that's exactly what Don Bull told him and Donnie had a big smile on his face like hey how you doing I'm like oh well, nice to meet you I was under the circumstances I wish it was different but he goes yeah me too and we we had a uh, brief conversation uh, really about not much of nothing. Maybe a few people we might have known together. Uh, and he was talking about when he got out, we'd get together. And I'm like, okay, that's fine, whatever. And it was a very brief encounter. I think we only, I only stayed in there for maybe 10 minutes. Talked to him. And then uh, uh, Don Bull came out and then we, we went back home, talked about things and and then over the next several months, we talked about things, and then the uh, then then all this came about, and we we discussed it several times on what he thought about it, and he he brought up a lot of a lot of things I didn't know about, like uh, evidence being hidden. That would exonerate Donnie. He had all this stuff wrote down. He had a big file that he kept uh, to keep track of this stuff. And I and he passed away, and I have no idea what happened to it. I wish I had my hands on it, but I don't. Do you do you remember when he spoke about you know the evidence you know evidence being hidden? Do you know? Do you remember like in what what that pertained to like? Any anything like that? Did he ever get into specifics with you, or was it just kind of in passing? Like, you know, oh, I know that they have stuff that can exonerate him, but they're hiding it. Um, one of the things he brought up, I remember, was something about the vehicle he was driving that night and where it was parked at. 
and I don't remember much of the details on that. Um, evidence against one of the other perpetrator, uh, one of the other suspects that was buried. And I can't remember, I really can't remember what, what that evidence was. And also something about accelerants being used and the fact that if accelerants were used, accelerants, accelerants don't don't smolder. I mean, they, they ignite right away. Right, right. Something that something about that too. Uh, he brought up something about the forensics with the fire and how it came about. Yeah, yeah, and some of the forensics that were uh, would have went in Donnie would have went in Donnie's favor that were not. Uh, do they call it exculpatory evidence? That evidence that was hidden. Okay. That would have exonerated Donnie. I, and I can't, I can't really remember too many details. That's been a long time ago. No, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, how, how, at that time, like, were you paying attention to the proceedings and how the trial was unfolding? Oh boy, was I? You were. And how, like, so was there a point, you know, was there a point at all in the beginning where you thought, he could have done this, that you thought that, you know, man, like, my brother did this? Or were well, you always, you know... There was a question, it? there was there was a question in my mind. Uh, I mean, I wasn't raised with them. I, I, yeah. And from what I understand from reliable sources, uh, he, he didn't have a very good childhood. Uh, and he, and... I'll just leave that at that. I didn't know. I I really didn't know. To be honest with you. But uh, in my mind, and I and I still think this today. I know how I am. And there's no way. There's no way in hell I could do something like that myself. Right. And I I don't. And from people that knew him well, that, that I know. Uh. They don't see. They couldn't see that in him either. I mean, let's face it. That takes. That takes. That would take a, a horrible, horrible person to be able to do something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think. I think this case is just one that has a lot of layers in the sense that, you know. If you if you explain things a certain way, does Donnie look like a great suspect for this? Absolutely, but there are other layers to this, and there are other people out there where, you know, I mean, they look very culpable of this as well. And you know, you've listened to this podcast. I, you know, our goal isn't to, you know, just come out and say, oh, well, you know, we think this person's innocent. It's to simply just point out the fact that. There are other people who also seem like they had a motive and also had, you know, stories changing and they were not 
honed in on as much and especially they were completely laid off like they were completely given the break once Donnie Bull came into the picture it's like once he came into the picture it was like okay we got our guy I have to I have to agree with you and I know I know one of the individuals personally and I've known him for years but I, I said I, 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 I'm not going to point fingers because I, I don't know No. And I mean, we're not trying to point fingers either. We're just trying to say like, you know, you know, this person originally said this in the beginning. Why did their story change? Why weren't they pressed about their story changing? Why did wasn't this looked more into? Like I it's important to find somebody to find somebody responsible for this, but it's important to like find somebody that's without a shadow of the doubt or without a shadow of a doubt the right person. Really, a lot of that, a lot of that stuff was brought out in the trial, but it was ignored. And I can't believe it was ignored the way it was ignored by the jury. So, was there a turning point in the trial proceedings where you were like, "Wow, maybe he didn't do this"? And like, what is your, what is your, you know, perception of how the media handled this? Let me take a. <laughs> they, in, in my opinion, the media had him guilty from day one. Yeah. Uh, but the way I kept track of things, I didn't go sit in on the trial, but but Don Bull did. He went. He went. Sorry, he went quite a few times down there to the trial, and that's how I kept track of how things were going. And he would say he would tell me, you know, when I would ask how it went. You know, if he went like the day before, the next day, I would I would maybe go over and talk to him and have coffee and drink a beer with him or whatever and uh, and ask him how things and he would tell me how it was proceeding and that's when he would bring up all the things what I mentioned earlier about the evidence being hid or uh, uh, like I said one of the things that I don't know why it keeps coming up in my head about the car and where it was parked at or because that had changed or something I can't remember what the details yeah. were on that. It was kind of weird. It was a it was a it was a moment where I kind of scratched my head too because I'm not really sure why Donnie said this. You know, for so long he had originally said that, you know, he I believe it was that he dropped his buddy off at home, he was driving home, he got a flat tire, it was pitch black where he was. He didn't want to change the sense. He slept in his car for the night, um, you know, changed it in the morning came home, this and that, and when his household was originally questioned about, you know, his whereabouts, they all concurred that, you know, no, we have, we didn't see Donnie at all after he left that night, we didn't see him again until the morning, and then at some point, for whatever reason, Donnie's, the story changed to where Donnie was like, I slept in my truck in the driveway, I was in the driveway, but then it turned out that he, like, he went back, like, I'm not sure why that was said. I don't know if that was just maybe, you know, with his dealings with the law, just being nervous and, you know, not wanting to be even remotely near where that fire took place or what. Um, but that was, it was a weird change of story that I'm not really sure why it occurred. Um, and that could, well, be of. That, that could be it. I, I'm not sure. It, but whatever it was, I know it was, Something that was sticking, sticking, a sticking point 
the Dawn Bull because it was, there was something about it that went in Donnie's favor for some reason. Again, I can't remember what it was. I guess, so, when the trial, when, when it came down that, you know, he was going to be, you know, sentenced to death for this, you know, how was that all, I guess, I mean, what are, what are your feelings on how you think that his lawyers did their best job given the circumstances? Do you think there were situations where, you know, his lawyers may have been handicapped just based off of, like you said, you know, evidence being withheld, certain, you know, them not being able to come forward with certain pieces of evidence? Like, do you think that his lawyers really had his best interest or do you think that, you know, that there was something fishy going on on that side of things as well? Um, I, I, I can't really, I'm not going to be able to speak on that because I, I don't, I don't really know all the circumstances behind, okay. behind it. I do know that my, that, uh, Don Bull didn't think his attorneys were doing the best possible job. I knew that, know that for a fact. Okay. And that was kind of the general consensus around the whole Bull family? Yes. Okay. And then, I mean, do you, how do you, do you, do you have a guilty or innocent opinion or are you kind of, cause I feel like, I feel like there's kinds of, kind of almost three sides to this. There's, you think he's guilty, you think he's innocent, and then you think, well, it's not that I think either or, I just think that there were other people that needed to be looked into it. Like, I feel like it's kind of, it's, it's a very, it's not as black and white of a case as people like to think. Um, so I guess I just was wondering what your thoughts were on that. Well, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I like, I lean, I, I lean a lot more towards his innocence than then guilty. I will say that. Yeah. And it, just from what I know of the case and from what I've been told and things I've read, uh, <clears throat> this, you know, I haven't, I didn't even think about it. It'd been years since I even thought about any of this stuff until someone brought up the podcast that was going on. Well, then I started I started listening to and reading the podcast. And then, then oh yeah, things, I started remembering things. Uh, but I definitely lean more towards innocence than this guilt. Were you, you know, were you in touch with the family at all? So, were, were you aware of the, um, the clemency petitions and stuff that were going out even after Donnie? passed away in prison? No, I was not. I was not aware of that until the podcast. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because I mean you say I keep it in touch with the Bull family, okay. 
the only one I kept in contact with was Don Bull. I didn't talk to Sheila. I didn't talk to Sherry. Uh, we didn't, we didn't have a relationship. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, as you might know from the podcast, there is stuff, there are items in that clemency petition that, you know, if came to fruition really could, I mean, help Don's case. And, you know, that's something that we're obviously looking into. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the interesting well, thing about that is that the lawyer felt the need to keep pursuing this even after Donnie passed away. And when we spoke to him, he said, he was like, I, you know, he's like, I don't do this for everyone. He's like, but this was one of the very few cases that I had where I still had questions about it. Which which attorney would that be? This was Alan Friedman. So he was Donnie's clemency lawyer. Um, okay. Right. He actually had, he actually kind of thought that there was something going on with one of the informants, Chris Chester. Um, yeah. Yeah, I met, I met that little douchebag. Not a fan? <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, if you want to talk, when, so what prompted you to talk to, to talk to Chris? Was he in prison at the time <laughs> when you talked to him or did? I'm laughing because of you and what prompted me to talk to him. My job prompted me to talk to him on accident. Oh, okay. Um, they, they had built what they called the, the SMU, which is Special Management Unit, at the prison I worked at here in, in Canton, Illinois River. They had built this fenced in inside the prison, as a prison inside the prison, basically. Uh, complex housing unit, self-sufficient unit. And basically all this unit was was a medium security, high-level, uh, protective custody unit is what this place was. And they housed, uh, state's attorney's witnesses, snitches, uh, high profile gang members that were testifying against gang, uh, gang involved murders and things of that nature. That's the kind of inmates they had out there. Okay. I didn't work, I didn't normally work that unit, you know, but one day, I was called upon to go out there with several other staff to do uh, shakedowns of the cells out there. Well, the very first show, cell that I got uh, assigned to, to search was Chris Chester's cell. And of course, I knew who he was and I knew what he had done. And I walked to the cell and I didn't, it didn't even dawn on me. I seen the name on the, on the, on the roster. And it just didn't really didn't click with me. I didn't until I got down there and pulled his ID and he's standing there and I'm like, Oh, well, well, well. And he threw a fit. He, he cried because, and he knew who I was. Yeah. Uh, he cried to the housing unit lieutenant because he thought for sure that I was going to plant something in his cell. Uh, and get him in trouble. Of course, that I had no intention of doing anything like that. <clears throat> but that's that's how I met Chris Chester, and I didn't know him before that. I, that's how I met him. 
and just the way he acted, he was just, he was scared to death that I was down there shaking his cell down. That's how much I look like Donnie Bull. Wow. And I mean, what uh, were you... He, he, the look on his face when I came to that cell door and opened it up, it was priceless. <laughs> I'm sure he felt like he saw a ghost, <laughs> literally. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Did, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you didn't stick around and chat with him, but, you know, what... How all that unfolded, you know, that's kind of a stick, that's kind of a sore point for me personally when I listen to this because it's just very, it, there's no refuting that after he testified against Donnie that he received immunity. Like it, it's very clear that that is exactly what happened. And yeah, it was. And the, though to be placed in that unit, at Illinois Correction Center at the time, you'd have to understand some of the other individuals that were out there uh, and knew and know their background because these were major, major cases. Yeah. Uh, some of the high-profile inmates we had out there at the time, uh, and for him to be placed out there, end up being out there, and I, I believe he'd done the rest of his time out there and was released from out there. I don't know why they had him protected like they did. Just just because of Donnie's case? Or was he used in multiple different cases uh, for that purpose? But he definitely he must have had a pretty good price on his head to end up out there at SMN. Yeah, that's, um, that's definitely something that sticks out to me in this case and you know there's obviously a few other things as well um but the Chris just something just doesn't doesn't seem right there and I just thought it was interesting that you know Alan Friedman Donnie's clemency lawyer kind of unpromptedly you know unprompted said that exact same thing too when we interviewed him it's just you know there's just something doesn't add up there um and the more you dig into it it's kind of the more you peel away at it <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, I'm sure i mean i that's and i remember uh don bull bringing his name up don senior bringing his name up several times too uh <clears throat> In your conversations with with Don Bull Sr., the ones that you did have, it, did he have a theory as to, you know, who was the one responsible for this? Or did he just more lean on, like, it's just not my son? He, I don't think he had a, I don't think he really must have had a theory. But I know who, I know who he thought did it from listening to the testimony and, uh, uh, reading all the trial transcripts and everything else. I mean, I, I know exactly who he thought did it. But I'm not going to mention any names. You, okay. you, 
Let's just say he's mentioned in your in the podcast several times. Okay. Yeah. Um, and why he why he had that opinion? I, I I don't know why necessarily he had the opinion he had, other than the fact that he had listened to the evidence. Yeah. Well, there. And when I guess is what not. Of what Donnie had told him. Okay. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, there there was only one person um, that was seen on site of the fire the morning of. And, you know, that's something that also sticks out with me a lot, just as far as, you know, people you know, with other potential, potential motives in this, um, it's a lot, it's a, it's a really, it's a really big case, and it's just, like I said in the beginning, it's not as black and white as people would think, and that's really just, that's really our goal here, is just trying to point that out to people, like, this isn't just a, like, this isn't a slam dunk case, like, the presence of DNA is a little bit misleading in this case, like, it makes you think things that, might that aren't necessarily you know that don't necessarily put Donnie even at the scene of the crime and you know I think once they had that DNA evidence I think it was just like well this is a slam dunk we've got yeah. it yeah exactly. and um and you know in most cases DNA evidence is and so when people hear DNA when a jury of your peers hears DNA that's you know what they're gonna think right away too um and, and, and to be honest with you, I think that's what what sealed his fate. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Because without the DNA, there's there's ab- there's nothing tying him there at all, which is which also speaks volumes. Um, right. I just I really appreciate you reaching out to us. Um, you know, you might not think that you have much to add, but your insight definitely just kind of helps paint a, a better picture for us. Um, well, I I appreciate you too, and uh, and I hope I, I honestly hope these this all works out for the better. I mean, and not just the fact that that Donnie's my half brother. Just if if he didn't do it, then he shouldn't he shouldn't have that tag on him. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that also means that whoever did, whoever the real perpetrator is, is still out there running around, and uh, they need to be held accountable. Have you been able to talk to any of his sisters? No. Have no. they declined, declined to talk? I believe any time we've reached out to anyone in the family, it's been either ignored or declined. Okay. Even Sheila? It's kind of become, I feel like it's a little bit of a taboo topic that people just don't want to 
stir up and bring back up, which I do get that. I mean, obviously, being his family member, it was a, you know, super difficult time in their life. And even though I'm sure, you know, even though we're going about this podcast with the best intentions, it can't be easy to have all this stuff brought up again. Um, so, you know, there's no hard feelings with that. But yeah, I do I do believe that they that they try to reach out to as many family members as they possibly can to not with not really much luck. Well, that doesn't that doesn't really surprise me. Uh, other than I, I thought the only one I thought that might be willing to talk or give a little insight to Donnie's upbringing and background would have been Sheila, and I've been the best one to get the story from because they were raised together, obviously. So the Bull families, they're they're a close knit family. But they're a close-knit family within their own family. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And and they're all good people. I mean, they really are. I mean, I, and I know most of them. Uh, it's just un- unfortunate that uh, you know they they've got this this hanging over their head. But I mean, it's it's nothing to do with them. Uh, so they don't want to. They you know they they don't feel the need to. That to explain anything. Right, right. Like I said, I wasn't raised. I wasn't raised with them, and I was never supposed to even know the whole story. And I and I venture to guess that if I wouldn't end up in ended up in Canton after I got out of service and started working for the Department of Corrections, I probably would have never known. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's kind of interesting how you know you know you and Donnie physically look so much alike and then just what a different route your life took it's just well it's it all has to do with the upbringing i'm sure yeah yeah i mean absolutely and you know that's that's a huge you know area that can shape a person not necessarily you know that doesn't excuse anybody for you know committing crimes and and whatnot but i mean it's obviously a huge factor that and you know mental mental stability and mental illness you know both of which donnie was examined for and you know it was under professional's opinion that they thought that he did have a lot of mental limitations and mental instabilities and you know that's another aspect of this that I don't really think it's paid attention to as much. Well, that's that's interesting. I know that he was screened, like, you know, as a part of his defense case, he was looked at um, by a, a psychologist and, and screened, and, you know, they said that he did have, like, some, there were some factors that, that, he was mentally he did have a limited mental capacity his judgment state of mind um how he reacted to things and again like this was brought up in court but i i just i think that i think that that dna evidence was just so leaned on i just don't think that anything else mattered to the jury at that point I yeah think I agree. even back then the, the the that the DNA back then was relatively still relatively new. 
yeah. and they sure they sure sold the hell out of it right off the bat. Yeah, and I mean, of course, it doesn't look good. Like, I mean, it it it, it doesn't look good for him at all that his DNA was found, but it still does not definitively put him on the premise of it doesn't put him in that apartment on that day. So if it doesn't put him without a shadow of a doubt in that apartment that day, then I don't think I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at this. If they were to have that trial today with that DNA evidence that they had back then, they wouldn't be able to sell it today like they did back then. You know what I mean? No, I'm not sure they. I'm. I'm. I'm not sure they could either. I think people are a little bit more privy to how DNA works now, um, and I think they understand it still has limitations. You know, while it's a great indicator and a good tool to steer you in a certain direction, um, you know, unless there's a certain amount of it and you can, you know, say without a shadow of a doubt that it's just, it's it's just there. It, that DNA was the perfect distraction for people to just zero right in on him. In my and that's, opinion. That's, and in my opinion, that's exactly what they did. Yeah. Definitely. They had blinders on when they when they had him in their sights, they put blinders on and and that's that's everybody else went away. Yep. Yeah. Despite, you know, Things that they accused Donnie of, you know, oh, his story changed. Oh, like, there's a few suspects that you were questioning whose story changed a lot. <laughs> exactly. I, and, you know, I, but, I was getting ready to say that. His story, his story is the only one that changed. Yeah. And, you know, if anything. And, and the, the other thing, those little minute changes in his story are significantly different than the big changes that changed in the other stories. Oh yeah, things that completely refuted the fire forensics and other ones that yeah. completely refuted the original timelines that were given, just, yeah. you know, crazy, crazy discrepancies that just, those are, you know. Those are, those, are, those are big changes. Yeah, 100%. So I'm, I agree with you on all that. And if people would just set aside their, their their one-sidedness and 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 listen. I've been promoting this podcast for people to listen to. I don't know how many people have. I know I got one friend that has. Yeah. Uh, and if listen to everything from from part one all the way through, and I'm not even through all of it yet, but uh, they're they're coming. My buddy's coming back and me going, "Wow, I didn't know all that." I said, "Yeah, a lot of people don't know all this." So, I mean, I, I, I promote your podcast as much as I can. <clears throat> well, we appreciate that. Yeah, and I mean, I you know, we have our opinions, but we really try to not let that get in the way of the podcast. Like, I hope that when people listen to it, they see that, you know, we're into, you know, we've interviewed plenty of people who have said, oh, I think he's guilty as hell. I think he did it. And, you yeah, know, I've that's listened. fine. Like, I don't, you know, we're here to just like get feedback and you know we really want the interviews that we have with people and the evidence that we're going through and the trial transcripts we want that to do all the talking 
you know, it's not, we're not here to, you know, if you end this podcast and you think something different than when you went into it, well, why is that? Because, you know, it's not us shaping your opinion. This is just the facts that have been, that were, that were presented during the trial. And I think, I think this happens more, a lot more, a lot more often than people think in this country. Um, and I definitely think that there needs to be a little bit more awareness on it. I mean, this is just one of many cases where somebody is kind of like railroaded into becoming the prime suspect. Um, I, I, I agree. And I know personally several people that have been exonerated after doing a considerable amount of time at the Department of Corrections uh, for being uh, found guilty where their DNA actually exonerated them. One of them would be Donnie Whalen. But during my course of uh, my career, I, I know of several inmates that were uh, doing time that they shouldn't be, shouldn't have been doing. Yeah, it's kind of ironic that Donnie was on one side and I was on the other. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, again, I really I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me. Um, this is. You know, I think, I think this is, like I said, you know, our goal is to just let our investigation and what we come up with speak for itself. And if you come into this podcast and your opinion doesn't change, okay. But if it changes, then, you know, I think that there needs to be some conversation around the issue and, you know, will it prompt any sort of legal action? Maybe not, but maybe it will help exonerate just Donnie's name a little bit in society and maybe just let people, you know, with an, come in with an open mind and maybe they'll leave with a little bit of a different perspective on the whole investigation. Well, that would, and that would be great if that happens. Spoon River Gothic is a production of Lone Bird Media in association with CZ Studio and Radio Verite. The show is produced by August Olson, editing, directing, and producing by Corey Zimmerman, audio mastering and engineering by E. Mastered. Research is done by Anne-Marie Cannon, Chelsea Mesa, and me, Jinra Illustrissimo. Spoon River Gothic is written and hosted by Corey Zimmerman. You can follow the show at czstudio.works and read the blog at spoonrivergothic.com. Show some love by leaving us a rating or review on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And stay tuned for the next episode as we dive deeper into the Donald Bull case. Thank you for listening. This is Spoon River Gothic, narrative of a double homicide.